Welcome to this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex. And this is a jam-packed one, folks. Ryder Cup Europe has its new man with Luke Donald filling the captaincy vacancy. The PJ Tour unveiled its new schedule. Very exciting. For 2022-2023, we'll break down all the key takeaways. And Tony Finau is a man on a mission fulfilling all of that promise with back-to-back wins, including last week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. We'll get into big tone, Henrik Stenson earning $4 million, if not uh, utter admiration, as well as the regular season finale at the Wyndham Championship. But first, the new Chrome Soft golf balls from Callaway are better for the best and better for everyone. This new family is available in Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, and Chrome Soft XLS, Each of these golf ball offerings incorporates the company's proprietary new precision technology for the tightest dispersions, consistently fast ball speeds, and total performance. And of course, they deliver the soft, responsive feel and control that players love. These new balls are available now. You can head over to CallawayGolf.com to see which Chrome Soft is right for you. Rex, uh, bringing you in here, last we heard from you, uh, your son had carved an obscene gesture into the backyard in the past week have you received any other notices from the hoa uh no notices from the hoa uh everyone's happy in the neighborhood because i'm home and we got rid of the obscene gesture and we had a bit of a sit down talk with with the middle son because he needs to be a little bit more responsible than that but he came I got around many, i got many comments many comments to me about, uh, the, about that. the back uh yeah i, I didn't want to get too detailed but if you live in, in I thought it was. I thought it was just like a. It was a tribute to Cam Smith's finish at the Players' Championship. If you, yeah, if you, uh, if you live in the three two seven seven nine, you have an idea of what he probably drew in the back of my lawn. And after a month in Florida, you can just imagine how long and difficult that grass was to cut. I, I will say this: that I, I had a highlight of my golfing career just yesterday, Sunday. That I you went, played golf. Good for you. I played golf, but not only did I play golf, but I played golf with my two sons at Winter Park Nine which is one of my favorite courses. It's kind of um, where I Run fell down. back in love with the game. Wait, um, years, oh, years Winter, Park, Winter Park Pines or Winter Park Nine? Winter Park Nine, the nine hole. Okay. And it's been, it's been talked to death on Golf Channel, so I won't bore anybody with the details of the history of the Winter Park Nine. But it's this cool little walking course right in downtown Winter Park. And they wanted to, like, out of nowhere, they were, Dad, let's go and let's go play. And it was so much fun. We had a good time. Fell oh, in your, love third with son, your third son just didn't make the cut? Uh, he doesn't like to play golf. My, my oldest does not like to play golf. Does he like he certainly beer? doesn't like to walk in the middle of the summertime in Florida in the afternoon and play golf. It's three dollar beers. How about, how about a little family time? Uh, we had we had good family time, and then he came over. We grilled steaks last night, so it was fine. Uh, very good. We'll get into uh, what's on the grill uh, later in this podcast. Rex, a little bit of news. You were you were uh, putting on makeup for golf today. Uh, earlier today, we're recording this podcast on Monday because it has been such. A busy news day. Luke Donald, if you've been sleeping under a rock, is now the 2023 European Ryder Cup captain. Henrik Stenson last week was stripped of the captaincy because of his affiliation with Live Golf. We'll certainly be getting into that a little bit further on this podcast as well. Uh, Rex, to me, this was not a huge surprise. Luke Donald was very much in the running when this captaincy was announced in Stenson's way uh, back in March. And the decision then had left. Uh, Donald uh, reportedly steaming a bit because it was well known that Henrik Stenson had been deep in negotiations with the Saudi backed rival tour. It only seemed at that time like the uh, live golf was 
not going to get off the ground. And so he accepted the Ryder Cup captaincy with the stipulation in that contract uh, that he would not sign on with the rival tour. He's losing basically three to four months of the job. Uh, He still has plenty of time, plenty of runway, 14 months in order to captain uh, the European team in fall 2023. What was your uh, take on Ryder Cup Europe's ultimate decision? Uh, Two things. One on the first thing you addressed was the idea. And Henrik was asked specifically last week about the contract that a captain signs with European with uh, Ryder Cup Europe or the PGA of America. And he didn't want to get into detail. So I, I'm, I wasn't 100% sure that there had been that. I think it was, I guess in my mind, I was thinking it was more of just a nod and gentleman's agreement, whatever you want to call it, that look, we're going to do this, but you can't go to live golf. And I think that's listening to Henrik Stinson talk last week. That's the impression I got. Cause it sounded to me as if he was under the mindset that I can do both. Why can't I do both? Now, listening to Luke Donald today, where he was very specific that, yes. Clearly signed something. There was a clause that said, I cannot go play live golf. I'm not going to pull a Hendrick, I think, was the line he used, which is which is great to me because now we've reached the tipping point in this whole divide between live golf and the established golf tours. Where now we're going to start sniping at each other. Now it's just going to get ugly. That's and we're fine. not going to be polite That's anymore. Great. That's great content. It is good content, and I, I'll say this along the lines of those of that content. I, I was on golf today this morning, and Eamon Lynch was kind of coming on right before me, and he always says the thing, and, and I don't know what the thing is, but he always says something to get the eyebrows raised right before it. it you know what I mean? Like he, that's, that's what happens when, you, when you're a contributor and not a full-time company employee. You could, there's a little bit more leeway for those you guys. You can say the thing, and you oh, can get yeah. away with it. Is that it? And we, and yeah, we, and we, abs- and we absolutely love Eamon. When, when, when they do the lower third, they describe it and they introduce him as a golf week columnist. And, and yeah, oh, yeah, he, exactly. contributes. Is yeah, that he the also way contributes to us whenever we need him. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It gives you the liberty. But he, he said the thing, which was that you now have we now have definitive sides and it's now personal. And we've seen it sort of building to this. And I think this gets to the heart of this issue. You're right. Luke Donald, I remember interviewing him about the possibility being the Ryder Cup captain way back in February at the American Express. And even then, and here's a guy who's known for his kind of his stoic demeanor. He's calm. He, he doesn't give away a lot with the body language. He's not very animated in any way. And he was very emotional that day when I was interviewing him about it, just with the, just the idea that this could happen. So as things have kind of come f- full circle, I can only imagine the emotions that he's gone through now. And, and you're right. I don't think him losing – I don't know, let's call it six months, five months, four months, whatever it was that he lost in the process. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Now, there are things he needs to figure out and probably figure out a little bit more quickly than he would like. He needs to get on the ball and decide exactly how they're going to select that team. How many captain's picks is he going to have? Are you going to have two lists like they've had traditionally with a world list and a European tour, a DP world tour list? So there's plenty of things for him to do. And I guess the other thing that that was my takeaway he probably should have gotten the nod to begin with. Like, if I there mean, was talk- any, if there was any hesitation at all, it's not like Henrik Stenson was some uh, outstanding candidate. Like I, I think you and I are both in agreement that he would have been a terrific Ryder Cup captain. I think Luke Donald has the potential to be a terrific Ryder Cup captain as well. It's not like it was an obvious choice. Like Phil at Beth Page Black would have been like an absolute slam dunk rubber stamp. Like there was some internal debate over which candidate they should choose. If there's any hesitation at all, and look, when Live Golf became a reality, it, it certainly would have been more enticing for them, speaking of Live Golf, to make a run 
at the sitting Ryder Cup captain. And so, like, the, the potential for him being lured away was always going to be there. I, I'm with you. Ryder Cup Europe screwed up in the first place when they should have picked Luke Donald. If there was any hesitation at all that Stenson could have gone with the rival tour. Now, that said, as we look to 2023, uh, I, feel, I, I feel like this is not a, a task that should be taken lightly. I'm not necessarily sure that I envy Luke Donald. Uh, when it comes to this assignment, you think about the uh, European Ryder Cup team is coming off a historic loss last fall at Whistling Straits. We all knew that they were going to be losing their core anyway of players like Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, probably Paul Casey, uh, probably Sergio Garcia, unless uh, he had some sort of return to form. So they're already kind of turning the page and we're going to have to usher in a new era of young European players. That was always going to be uh, somewhat on the agenda. But now you have, as you mentioned, it kind of this bitter divide now between the old guard and the, the, the pro DP World Tour side. And so, yes, the European Ryder Cup team is still going to have Rory and Rom, but I'm not sure who else they really have. They have the reigning U.S. Open champion in Matt Fitzpatrick. He's never won a point for the European Ryder Cup team. They have Victor Hovland, uh, who you and I both are in agreement is a world-class player. And yet uh, he's still unproven in that having played his first matches uh, last fall at whistling Straits. This is a lot of pressure on Luke Dowell. His team is going to be, uh, I would uh, assume a massive underdog and yet a European captain has never lost at home in 30 years. And he dearly does not want to be that guy. Uh, I took a, sneak attack here and, and took a screenshot and I'll be posting this on Twitter because you're leaning into the homeless thing. It, it's just not the beard. It's the hair. I'm not the hair looks sure. fine. Uh, it's messy. It's messy chic. You wouldn't uh, know uh, because I'm not, I'm not sure you could even grow it uh, to this length. Not that I have much to brag about, but I can, I, I can still grow it. It's just growing uh, in a different, in a different formation that I would have liked. I, I power, will alley, say, power alleys are a little bare. I do Rex. I do have a couple of grays. Uh, that I saw breakthrough. Wife thinks it makes me look uh, incredibly uh, distinguished. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm quite pleased about it. Uh, no, I don't think it's that big of a deal. And, and Damon actually asked the question on this morning's show, and and I don't, not that big of a deal. What's not that big of a deal? That uh, I don't know that the task is any more difficult than it would have been otherwise. I guess is my question. Had he just gotten the original nod, I don't know that suddenly they're losing their heart. They're losing their no, soul. No. These guys have uh, been around the Ryder Cup for the past twenty years. And in all likelihood, none of them were going to qualify for the team anyway. Like none of them, they would have been in the back room. I mean, I think we're reading too much into that. If you're being honest, I mean, this goes back to what we talked about last weekend. I think when you look at sort of the heart and soul of that team, it goes well beyond sort of that Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia crowd. I mean, I I really think when you start talking about it, it's more. I I hate to put it this way because it seems kind of ridiculous to say it, but it's more of a mentality. It's more of one of whatever it is that transforms them when they get in that team room. I think it goes beyond them as players. And I will say them as players, I think, had sailed. I, I don't think that's going to impact him one way or the other. It's not as though – I don't think competitively it does. I think it's more uh, emotionally. I think it's, it's, it's more of the support system and, and knowing you have a proven commodity with this core group that had won seven of the past ten Ryder Cups and including have won – every single Ryder Cup at ho- on home soil since 1993. Even if Lee Westwood, well, he would have probably been the captain had not all this uh, gone down, but have, not having a Lee Westwood, a Sergio Garcia, a Paul Casey, 
having those guys in the team room who, who know what successful teams look like. This is an entirely brand new roster and captain and assistant captains that you're going to have to bring uh, over to room. That's a daunting task. Uh, captain, no. I mean, Luke Donald's been involved with the last two Ryder Cups. He won one, he lost one as a vice captain. I think he got, he, he got a pretty good idea. Well, this, of is what... his fir- this is his first time as, the, as being the lead guy. Yes, and you only get one. I mean, we've kind of learned well, that. I, mean, I, think I, think, I think Thomas Bjorn would have been a good pick. Right now, his vice captains are Molinari and Thomas Bjorn, if I'm not mistaken. That's Eduardo, yes, uh, not Francesco. Yes, uh, so it, you're right. They're new captains. I, I just – I guess what I was kind of pushing back on the concept of he's got an impossible task because he's gotten thrown in so late because of the emotions and everything that we I don't in. think it's because it's so late. <laughs> I, think I don't agree with any of, either one of those concepts. I, I will say that, look, they're coming off the worst loss in history, and you've got some un, unproven, unknown quantities on your side. However, you've got some proven, known quantities. The whole Gores. The whole Gores are both going to be on that roster. Uh, there you go. I was waiting to see if you were going to tip tail into that. that yeah, Nailed it. Got it both times. You're very proud. You were so happy you did it twice. I yep. see. Uh, you have John Rom, who, let's face it, he was the only bright spot. Uh, on he can only team. play five. He can only play five. I don't know that Rory plays as bad as he did last time around. As can't we can't play know, worse. He, looks, he can't play any worse. Well, well, no, that's not true. He, he won. He won. He won single. He won single. He it, it Technically, you could have played worse. It was very, it very, very much, much did not matter. Right there on, on the edge, you had the younger players. I, I, I just, I guess, again, I, I guess what I'm pushing back on is the concept that somehow he's getting thrown into this impossible task. And I, I think the line that Eamon Lynch was using on the TV this morning is, "When was the last time the Americans won in Europe?" I think it's been. 1993 a long time yeah i mean i just don't see that's works us snapping our fingers i would argue the american side next year will be more of a new look and it'll be something that the captain next year will have to deal with no, without look. dj without without dj without brooks uh, patrick reed as without bryson without patrick without reed. bryson uh without mickelson as a vice captain i mean if you Boy, want this, to start picking this, sounds, this sounds like this sounds like a much better team um, I think from DJ, a personality DJ had, DJ had not been a good cup player before he went 5-0 and last year at Whistling Straits. Well, and I, I was going to Brooks say the is, same Brooks thing. Brooks does not play side. well with others besides Brooks. And I was going to say the same thing on the other side. You're going to tell me that Sergio Garcia is really going to be missed next year in Rome? I yes, don't think he he's the be. best foursomes player of the, of the modern era. Oh, you're assuming he was going to play, and I don't think that's a safe assumption. I, I think his, he his absolutely would have been a captain's pick for 2023, no. and, he, and he still might. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that on either either front. But I don't know that he's such a – I think the misconception – Sergio Garcia gonna... was the only player among these defectors who had a realistic shot at making that roster. And I think only it would only be as a captain's pick. Only, only because, because of his name. Yes. His name is reputation. And I will say that we always seem to fall in love with the idea that somehow that they're so happy in their team room and it's nothing but harmony. Clearly not. And, clearly, and clearly I've spoken with – Clearly, with clearly did not mean that much to them. It, I've spoken with numerous people who have said that, no, it's not. There's people crying and arguments going on and things getting thrown at each other. And I just don't – I think sometimes we read a little bit too much into this romanticized version of the European Ryder Cup team room being somehow this utopia. And I don't believe that's to be the case. I think this morning, uh, again, I think it was Eamon Lynch who probably said it best when he said that I think we were just duped into believing that Ian Poulter was really the heart and soul of that team and that the only thing that meant anything to him in the world was playing on that Ryder Cup. Clearly – that's not the case. I pushed back on this last week when you had players sitting in the press con- press room last week talking about how much they love the team concept of live golf. And yet in one swoop, you've turned your back on the best team 
uh, team event in all of golf. So I don't buy it. And now I think that we've seen the daylight a little bit more. I think there was a little bit of some smoke and mirrors when it came to how much did this really mean to Ian Poulter, to Sergio Garcia, to Lee Westwood, to all of these players that have made it there so important in their career that they were very quick to turn their back on it. Yeah. The, the camaraderie of the past 25 years apparently was a race when $50 million in signing bonus money uh, w- was put up. They also love the team concept of live golf because they're getting paid to like the team concept of live golf Ryder cup exhibition, of course, three days uh, entirely unpaid when it comes to Luke Donald, what he's going to have to do over these next 14 months. And in particular, I think Rex, in this next month, over these next couple of weeks, they do not have a qualification process yet laid out for how to make the 2023 European Ryder Cup team. You contrast that uh, to the U.S. Ryder Cup team. They detailed their qualification plans on February 28th. So Luke Donald does not yet know how many captain's picks he's going to have. He does not know whether they're going to uh, still have this world points list and the European points list. Uh, it seems likely to me, reading some of the tea leaves, Rex, that we could see more captain's picks uh, for Luke Donald in 2023. Traditionally, Europe has only gone somewhere in the two to four captain's picks range. Wouldn't surprise me at all if we see that number bump up to six. Wouldn't surprise me at all to see a revamping of the qualification process uh, to lean more on the official world golf ranking. That, of, of course, is how the International President's Cup team is determined with Trevor Immelman. Wouldn't surprise me uh, if we head that direction as well and, and and sort of some of the divide like there's going to be some sort of court case to determine the eligibility of these live players whether they're going to be able to still play dp world tour events whether they're still going to be eligible for competitions like the Ryder cup unlike the pga tour a court case as in one court cases there you go. unlike the pga tour which has indefinitely suspended uh, any player who has competed on the rival circuit all the dp world tour has done is fine players for participating and live events without a conflicting events release European tour regulations, Rex, just four events is the minimum requirement in order to uh, fulfill uh, those obligations and to remain eligible for a tournament such as the Ryder cup, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia, and the like, they have all mentioned uh, that they would like to play the European tour minimum in order to stay eligible for the 2023 matches. We're going to have to see how, that eventually shakes out. So that was your first appearance, Rex, on Golf Today. Your second appearance was the unveiling, da-da-da-da, drum roll please, of the 2022-2023 PGA Tour schedule, uh, looking upwards of $425 million in prize money for next season, 44 regular season tournaments, three playoff events, now, a lot of this stuff had already been either announced or previously reported. You have the elevated purses for tournaments uh, like the Century Tournament Champions, Riviera, all those invitationals. You see the Players' Championship uh, going up to $25 million purse, up from 20 We've already talked about all of that. We saw the FedEx Cup bonus pool recs increasing to $75 million. The PIP, the Player Impact Program, to 50 million in the Comcast top 10 bonus going to 20. In other words, these dudes are about to get paid might not yet be live money. Uh, but I don't think these guys are certainly going to be hurting in their wallets either. No. And this was the tours counter to live golf. And this was as good as they could probably do on sh- such short notice. There's going to be eight events 
next year outside of the majors. We don't know what the major purses are going to be, but there'll be eight, and they'll, they'll refer to as invitational events that have their purses bumped up anywhere from 15 to 25 million dollars. And, and that's a direct response. And I think we're just going to continue to see more and more of that. I guess I was taken by the idea of you're right. Most of this had already been reported, but next year's schedule looks a lot like this year's schedule. It's so it's essentially they're just in transition going to what will become next year, the full calendar year after we've made it through sort of this cycle. 2024 is the calendar year. Yeah. Yeah. So after we've made it through this cycle, they'll just go to it. And I guess the things that stood out to me, well, two of them did one, I was going to do like a winners and losers column was the idea. And I I called the the first person I thought to call was Mark Brazel, who's a longtime tournament director at the Wyndham championship. And I started a conversation with, uh, I want to do a winners and losers column. And by my calculations, you're the only winner because the Wyndham essentially becomes a, you know, a a playing event. It becomes a, you know, a wild card game, whatever you want to call it. It becomes a fourth tour event because they will go from 125 qualifying from the regular season for the playoffs to 70. So players will be scrambling. That's a a huge deal. I mean, you're looking at guys who are on the 125 bubble. And I I looked at it today for Monday scramble. Like in most cases, these guys have one top 10 finish in 25 to 27 starts. Like they have not played well this season and that they still might keep their card. You get to top 70. You're looking at guys who over the course of a season have three, four five top tens. They just perhaps haven't made as consistent of a dent as the top 50 or top 30. Like those are, those are really good players who are going to be cut out of the playoffs next year. And and what we're going to end up with the flip side of that is I was curious what's going to happen in the fall. Because right now there's nine tour events in the fall. And by most accounts, there's going to be five or six of those events will remain and they'll become sort of a qualifying series. So anyone from 71 to 150 will, will then use those events. They won't qualify for the playoffs. They'll use those events to establish their set status going into the next season. So the, the other person I wanted to call was Davis Love, who's been the host of the RSM Classic. Of course you wanted to call Davis Love with the RSM. Uh, of course, because it's the fifth major. Because I'm going to pitch in a couple million of my own money, of of, of my own money if to make sure this, I is, could. This, is, this is an elevated tournament. If only I could. And you'll find this interesting that he started the conversation with, you want to talk about the fall? And yes, please, I'd like to talk about the fall. And it was a, thank God, I thought you wanted to talk about Liv Goff. So don't call Davis wanting to talk about Liv Goff. My guess is he's got some press conferences this week as President's Cup captain, and he doesn't want to dig any more into that than he absolutely has to. But it will be an interesting transition for those events in the fall. Because what you have is you have the RSMs of the world, and this is the way Davis described it to me, is RSM is happy with what they have. And I think we've had this conversation on the podcast before, that they're not necessarily concerned with the quality of the field. They're concerned with getting their clients to Sea Island for two days of big pro-ams. Making sure you're well-fed, making sure you're getting enough sun. All of those things that go into being in Sea Island and having clients. are fresh. Uh, tacos are fresh. Uh, the barbecue is delicious. There's so many things. The beer is cold. So for the RSM, it's fine. I don't know, however, if that's going to be the case and I'll pick Houston not to pick on them, but I know there's been Houston has been a little disgruntled about the field they've gotten the last few years. And that's only probably going to get worse going forward. Cause even though you're going to probably end up with more players ranked from 70 to 125 than you did in the past, you're probably not going to end up with any inside the top 50. Because at that point, then those players are going to transition to either a true offseason or they're going to play the three or four international free money events that the tour has conjured up. So I guess my immediate concern turns to the fall. And does the fall just wither up and die or does it limp along as a version of it is right now? It'll be curious to me. 
I think the RSM too, and you didn't you didn't mention this, and or I'm not I'm not even sure if Davis would have brought it up. That essentially becomes like an even more do or die Wyndham, does it uh, not? It because does. At, yeah, because at, at that point, that's when the the the, the cutoff for top one twenty five status is going to be determined after the fall. Then you actually have a make or break of guys who or they establish themselves in that 71 to 125 threshold. They're going to be fully exempt uh, for the entirety of the calendar year schedule beginning in 2024. Everyone else is needs to start booking flights for Wichita and Lafayette and uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and looking at the Corn Ferry Tour schedule for 2024 because they're not going to be fully exempt anymore. So I, I think that actually boosts RSM's profile to maybe not the level of the the Wyndham championship, but it certainly elevates it in terms of importance, but I, I'm, I'm with you. Then you have kind of this hodgepodge of CJ cup in South Carolina and Mayakoba and Bermuda, where you're just kind of, there's kind of seeding tournaments. Now they're probably going to be played up against those uh, international uh, series events, which have still are still um, details of which are still uh, to be determined. But I think the RSM in particular will be uh, somewhat elevated. I also think, Rex, that this kind of diminished fall is why a lot of people still think there's a possibility that the PJ Tour and Live Golf can coexist, that Live Golf can do their schedule in the fall and attract it and not detract from a regular PJ Tour schedule, which has invitationals and kind of the regular cadence that we've come to expect kind of weaving in and out of the major championship season. I certainly think that's the case because if you look at any way, like when Rory first brought this up a few weeks ago in Ireland and, and he talked about the idea of coexisting, the one place where it could happen is in the fall where even though you have existing events, those, those events have people do not watch golf in the fall. They watch football. They do not. And so maybe in, in live golf's mind, they could provide a product and something new and something different that, that would be able to go up against football. Although I, I find that doubtful, at least in the United States, although they're thinking just offer something different as opposed to the 72 hole Bermuda championship, I believe would be the the thinking there. Cause I gotta be honest with you. I was, I was, I was grilling yesterday afternoon and I had two TVs out on my back porch and one was on the golf because I wanted to see Tony Finau be Tony Finau, which is now a winner. (laughs) And then the other one that I was just kind of surfing around and I was watching Canadian football. I'm not going to lie. That, wow. That, that I know. is sad. Is it sad or is it sad or is it a testament? Cause I couldn't have been the only one. Uh, I'd like to see the viewership numbers for that. Do you think it was more than the 110,000 people who tuned in for the finale of the live golf event? Uh, probably not because it is Canadian football. However, it's interesting. I will say it caught the attention of, of two of my sons who thought that, there were certain parts of it that they liked that the, the wide receivers in motion thing was kind of cool. And it's clearly an offensive. Anyway, that's so boring. It, and it's very sad. Uh, it's a I very don't pay boring. attention to football. Now the calendar did turn Rex. It, uh, it, the calendar did turn to August, which means we are full steam ahead to Georgia football, the fantasy football drafts uh, folks. Uh, we're going to be getting into a fantasy football uh, draft special podcast uh, later this month you're going to want to make sure uh tune in rex is an expert uh and all things fantasy football loves the auction draft uh, that you went in just, on our league that is just a little bit of a tip for you folks uh I, i'm with you rex like football here we come july 31st however that was a little bit too early to be turning your uh television that that's just sad canadian football but i mean I, I just think in this particular case there's going to be some events and, and this is a homer in me that thinks oh rsm's still going to be happy with the product they get. I, I don't think 
the Houston Opens of the world. And you, you mentioned Bermuda. I covered that event last year. And if you remember yeah, correctly, you they, they couldn't fill the field. Now, a lot of that had to do with some COVID travel restrictions and some things that go into it. But that's not a good sign for what becomes of these events in the future. Now, in theory, I would imagine the Zozo Championship in Japan, that would be transitioned to what I can only assume is going to be one of, those, one of the international series events, which is going to be limited field, another big purse. They've talked about doing some sort of team aspect. Essentially, it's just free money for the top 50 players from the previous season, which is fine. No one has a problem with that. But you're right. If you're starting to look for any kind of ground, and I don't know that there is any room or any interest on either side right now, it seems like, of coexisting. But if you're trying to find, if you, if you want to drill down and find any place where maybe they could come to the table and at least have a conversation, it would be in the fall. I, I'm in agreement with you, Rex. I, I think going up against some of these weaker PJ Tour events, I think that would, would, would not be grounds for any sort of compromise because they're, they're taking attention away from a longtime PJ Tour sponsor with a committed fan base and the community and all the charitable uh, uh, aspects of hosting a tournament in those communities. Like having it go up against those tournaments in the heart of the regular season on the PJ Tour uh, would not be appealing. The fall is the only time that I could see them coexisting. So we'll be curious to see uh, what happens with that uh, as the calendar turns to 2023. Now, since you did have uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic on one of your two TVs yesterday, Rex, I can ask you about Big Tone. Big Tony Finau. He was kind of the surprise winner at the 3M, right? Like Scott Piercy, uh, just a ghastly uh, back nine, including the triple bogey on 14. Finau. Spent much of the final round, three or four shots back. Uh, ended up winning that tournament by three shots. You head over to Detroit in the Rocket Mortgage. Tony Finau played bogey-free for the first 64 holes of the event and cruised to a five-shot victory. Now, he only earned only $2.5 million for his fortnight <laughs> and both trophies on the PGA Tour. I know it's just terrible, pitiful. Pitiful, pitiful uh, uh, amount for, for two trophies. However, elevated himself from 30th to 7th in the FedEx Cup, climbed to 13th in the world ranking, basically sewed up an automatic spot on the U.S. President's Cup team. Have these two weeks, Rex, changed your opinion of what Tony Finau was, is, and could be? Uh, I mean, did you not have a very high opinion of Tony Finau before this week? Three weeks ago, Rex, Tony Finau was a two-time winner on the PGA Tour who was known more for coming close uh, than being a consistent PGA Tour winner. Uh, no, because I think in my mind, I probably reached that tipping point last fall when he won the Northern Trust. Just, just because of how he did it in very dramatic fashion, he did it against Cam, Cam Smith. Cam Smith hit it into the Hudson. Hit it in the Hudson, uh, but it was in a playoff. I think it was a playoff event. I think Tony Finau felt all of that pressure, and this goes back to earlier last season when he had an opportunity at, at, early in the season, he had an opportunity at Torrey Pines. He had an opportunity at, at the American express. He had an opportunity at the Genesis invitational and he hadn't gotten it done. And yes, at that point, things start to sort of snowball, right? And then you start to question, you know, can he close? And you're right. That, the quote, I think that you referenced earlier in the podcast is fantastic. Everyone's a loser. You can, you can, you can find it on Instagram, uh, hat That's tip, right. Ryan Lavner, GC, uh, not, not getting tagged, of course, uh, on an Instagram account, but, but, but go on. Uh, so, no, I think he reached that tipping point in my mind last year in New Jersey. Certainly, this breaks him through to another level 
when you look at how consistent he is able to be and going into the playoffs now, you have to consider him probably the hottest player because we haven't seen Rory play in a minute. Uh, we haven't seen Cam Smith play since the Open Championship, so you don't know how they're going to show up. It's like two weeks game. ago. It's not, I don't think they lost the game. No, it hasn't been a long time, but this time of year, and you wonder what, what the major – well, in Rory's case, certainly I would wonder what the major championship season took out of him because I don't know that he's going to show up with a pop in his step, I would imagine. Maybe he will. I, I don't know. Like, who knows? But I, I don't I, – I feel like he probably is going to walk away. I said this in a radio interview the other day that I, I would – I don't know how he would – sort of wrap his mind around the major championship season. But my guess is he's not happy with himself, which is amazing to me because I thought I saw a stat on Twitter that said he was of all the players that played all four majors and made the cut in all four majors. He was 29 under par. The next closest was Cam. He Smith won by eight. Yeah, yeah. It was 21 under par. And uh, it's an amazing stat when you think, wow, in the most important events, he did what Tiger Woods always says I want to do. Give, just give myself a chance on Sunday, but you didn't win any of them. And I'm sure in, in Rory's mind, that it was not a successful major championship season. Yeah, we, we can certainly talk about it next week as you head uh, to the first FedEx Cup playoff event. I actually think he will be uh, incredibly hungry when we start the playoffs because he wants something to show for what is some of the best golf of his life by any metric, statistical, results-wise, major championship results-wise. Without a victory, it has been one of his most successful seasons on the PJ tour. And so when you get to the playoffs with now a chance to win, what is it? $18 million, I believe. And it yes. became the first three time fetish cup champion. I, I think he wants something to show for what has been a solid, uh, if unspectacular to this point, uh, season for Roy Macro. as it comes to Tony Finau, man, I've got to say, I am super impressed with this dude. Well, no, answer my question. Do you have a different view of him now after the last two weeks? Yes. I absolutely do. Wow. All right. But I think it's more a reflection of me and not Tony because with all the close calls he's had with all the near misses with all the sour Sundays, and sometimes he played really well on Sunday and just got beat. Tony Finau has always seemed to be the only guy who was not worried about the fact that he had not won prior to last year's playoffs until 2016. He was the one reminding us as writers that we just need to be patient, that his time was coming, that one of these Sundays it was all going to come together. And once it did, once he got more comfortable in that position, once he played well in that spot, that kind of the floodgates was open, right? Like he has been preaching patience for the past five or six years. And it has been us as golf writers who have continually wanted more from him. And now Tony is, I would call him an incredibly optimistic person. He's relying on hope and, and faith, and he's uh, uber positive. And I think, hello, Tito. I think it's refreshing, Rex, that Finau's patience, his persistence is now paying off in a big way with his performance. I mean, he's almost hitting every fairway and every green every time he tees it up in a PJ Tour round. And I think Sunday at the Rocket Mortgage was significant. In a way, for Tony Finau, who had previously gone 0 for 5 when holding a 54-hole lead on the PJ Tour, he slammed that door. He became the first player to win in consecutive weeks during the Tour regular season since 2019. He became the first since Justin Thomas five years ago to win in consecutive weeks by three or more shots. Like, this is the version of Tony Finau that we always knew was possible. The only drawback 
when it comes to this hot streak is that the major season is over. If Tony Finau plays like this in the major championships, he is winning at least one of them. Now, this can still be a very lucrative period for him. We mentioned the $2.5 is already banked with these two victories. Obviously, he's going to be in better position now to potentially capitalize and claim the $18 million first-place prize with the FedEx Cup. Uh, but it's great to see Tony blossom and evolve in the player who I think we all knew he was capable of becoming. I, I was just going through his profile, just looking, trying to find like a stat that stands out that sort of jumps off the page. I, I have a couple, but the one that, that caught me off guard, he has played 346 holes on the PGA Tour without a three-putt. Hmm. I mean, I think about that. That's great. That's great approach, buddy. I don't, I don't think I've, uh, That's I've great played speed three control. holes. Uh, I don't think I've played three holes without. Well, it's, it's, it's ball striking is what it is. If you look at the, the other one that stands out. I mean, he's hitting 88% of his greens right now. Yeah, that's why, that's, that's why you did the rocket mortgage. Yeah, he's fifth on tour in greens and regulation. He's uh, he's ninth on tour in approach to the green. So he gives himself a lot of good looks. He's giving himself a lot of birdie looks, which birdie looks are hard to three putt. I don't think I've played three holes without a three putt, if I'm being honest. Uh, it has something to do with that uh, horrific uh, putting stroke and stance uh, that you seem to employ. It's like it's like Michelle Wee without actually making them. That's uh, kind of like what you're doing. I got my I got it down to a feeble. Doesn't seem to be working. No, and I'm glad you went to the majors because that's where I would turn it when it came to Tony. Does he become the, the best player without now? I mean, do we do we do, we do the golf rider thing and then just, no. just hammer down no. on him now? No, no. we don't do that. I, st- I still think you're looking in in Cantlay's direction. I still think you're looking in Xander's direction. Right yeah. now, you would say that those are the best players without major championships? Put me on the spot. I'm trying to think. Yeah. I feel confident saying – no, and I'm being I would, a prisoner I would, I would probably, moment, but I'm I'd probably say Pat, right I'd now. probably say Pat I'd probably say Patrick I'd probably say Patrick Cantley's the best player yet to win a major. Right hmm. now. Who would you uh, say? I mean, I, I guess I would have to look it up. Again, I put myself I feel like I'm missing someone very obvious. Um it would would Xander be very obvious? I guess the reason no, I might not put Xander. Tony on that list is because he doesn't seem to have been there very often. I guess is why I would be curious. As I look at his major championship record in 2019 at the Open, he finished third. I have to consider that at least a semi-legitimate chance. He was fifth at the Masters. He always he always plays well in the U.S. Open. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I would have to do it. I, I guess you're right. Maybe I, I would. Yeah, I think it's. I think, I think it's. I think it's. Xander's been more consistent enough in the major championships to do that. Uh, who Cantlay hasn't? Xander Shoffley. You you Xander has been better in the majors than Cantlay. Cantlay prior to the to the Open Championship, had just two career top tens in the majors. I feel Cantlay probably has the best game for it when you look at – They're very, they're does, very similar in how they, they play. He doesn't seem to have any weaknesses. Yeah, I don't see any yeah. major weaknesses that going into – although we say that, and you and I can point to how many times did we say Cam Smith has to prove it in a major by hitting Oops. his driver in play, and he was able to do it, do it very, very well. Because it didn't blow. There's no rough. Are you, are you taking old that major away from him? Old course the old course major. Is it? No, of course not. That was a spectacular uh, final round 64 from Cam Smith to hoist the Claire Jug. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder how his liver is doing uh, after two weeks as the champion golfer of the year. Prayers up for Cam Smith uh, and the, the beating that his liver has taken. How about the other tournament that was played, Rex? That was at Trump Bid- Bedminster, excuse me, uh, the third event of the live schedule couple new signees who were in action that was paul casey 
Henrik Stenson, Jason Kokrak, someone else I'm forgetting, which was Charles Howell III, excuse me. Uh, Bubba Watson was unveiled as the latest player to jump ship. However, he will not tee it up until 2023 because he's Wait, still you recovering from knee surgery. There it is. Right, he's out. Gone. Uh, I actually think Bubba is a, is a good fit uh, for Liv. He has been, I would say, ridiculed uh, for wanting to either be an assistant captain or like a volunteer captain at Ryder Cups and Solheim Cups over these past couple of years. Famously, he was seventh in the world when he was passed over uh, for a Ryder Cup spot uh, a couple of years ago. Now that Liv is fully leaning into this team aspect, uh, I think he's a, a very good team captain. Actually, I think that was a not a, it was unsurprising and a rare good move uh, for Liv Golf to have Bubba. But how about the actual tournament? Henrik Stenson, in a delicious bit of irony, wins the tournament, takes home about four point three million dollars. Uh, of course, uh, zero world ranking points. Uh, he was one hundred seventy fourth in the world. Did not have a top ten on the PGA Tour in three years, and yet. Apparently fueled by vengeance, uh, he gets the first live title of his career. Thoughts, please. I believe the quote was, I think we can all agree that I played like a captain today. I believe yes. that was the quote on Sunday when yes. he came off the golf course. He can take as many pot shots as he wants. He's not getting the captaincy back. Not now, not, not ever. He can, and we addressed this earlier in the podcast, so I don't want to go back and, and beat this to death. But it's obvious that you're just, that you use this as leverage to get a better deal. Which, and again, I can call it dirty. Others can call it dirty. We I can call it kind of, ick. And I said yeah. ick in Monday Scramble. I'm going to go with yuck just because I don't – I feel like I have to go inside and take a shower after I talk about this. You do you, though, man. I, again, I'll go back to the idea that everyone has a choice to make here, and you do you. However, in this particular case, just own what you've done and move on. You don't have to dig in with the idea that you should still be captain because you knew that was never going to be the case. So stop. I, I, I totally agree. Like, stop these little petty shots – don't do these little digs. Like, just move forward with your life. You surrendered a title for which there is no price tag. Like, I'm not privy to Henrik Stenz's finances. I don't know how badly he needed the signing bonus. To each their own. I feel like that. Like- Probably. However, that's his decision to make. He chose money over one of the greatest honors that is bestowed upon a player. Only Henrik Stenson knows whether he'll come to regret that. Again, I have not seen his finances. He may be laughing all the way to the bank. His family's finances are secure for generations to come now. Only he is going to know how much it really meant to him. Now, he called it a career goal. Goals change. I understand that. It was a career goal when he was appointed. It. Luke Donald today said that it was kind of a lifetime achievement award. They're not taking away Henrik Stenson's Claret Jug from 2016. They're not taking away his FedEx Cup title that he earned earlier in his career. He will go down uh, certainly uh, as one of the best Swedish golfers of all time. However, he made a legacy-altering decision. Stand by it. Move forward. I think these petty digs kind of need to stop right now. Uh, They do. And look, you can take your victory lap because it's the same week you walked away and the same week you're in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. You played well, which he had not played well in a very long time. So it is, it is kind of amazing. Like he won the tournament having, having not done anything in three years. Uh, Which is kind of weird because I believe Schwartz won the first event and he hadn't played well 
in quite a while, months, if, if not years. So I, again, this is we're, we're kind of running into situations where are they playing well because they're refreshed and they found something new? Or are they playing well because the level of competition around them has, because, has because the down. field stakes? Uh, yeah, which is it, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not. We have no idea. We can't even quantify it with the world ranking, which is usually the fallback that you and I would go to. We can't even do that in this particular situation. We can all point to the idea that Phil hasn't played great. I think he broke par for just the second time. In a live event, uh, this weekend, did not, nope, nope. He shot. He shot. Uh, shot even par in the final round. Did not break par. Uh, okay. Finished thirty fifth out of the forty eight player field. He remains Rex among the worst players uh, in the live golf league. Well, and good news for him, he will not be able to be relegated because he is a team owner, and I'm sure there's some sort of guarantees in his contract. And and we talk about Henry going to the microphone and saying things that are disingenuous. And I feel like do you, you think are- do you th- do you think Rex that the players on on Phil's team for next year, they, that they can have a player option. Like, Ooh, if you're going to throw up these 77s, like, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this. This needs to be like a mutual decision. You might, you might want to sign me because I can help you. I can help you to these podium finishes. But if you're throwing up the 77s and this is basically a three man team, I might want out at the halfway point. Who knows? Or we can do the, we can just go the whole ownership thing and just, just send Phil to the owner's box. Right. Like he could do the whole Jerry Jones and put the cool yeah. glasses on and wear whatever the divorce dad clothes are that he, he wants to wear right now. And then he could be fine with that. Right. So if that's, yes. that's yeah. a better option for the way he's playing, he's, if you're he, on can, he can, he can just be a cart driver, like the assistant captain that he was at the 2021 Ryder cup. Yeah. Yeah. Put an IFB in his ear and yeah, put, put an earpiece in there. He's not talking to anyone. He's listening to music. Sure. Uh, Go ha- ahead. Happy as can be, but as we hammer, as we circle back around, and I feel like you and I, when it comes to this particular topic, we're living very much in an echo chamber and, there's no way around that. And, and that bothers me. I'm not going to lie. That, that bothers me a lot because I don't want to sit here and completely be critical when there are things that have come from this. And I, I saw this on Twitter a lot this weekend that you can't argue that whatever live golf is beyond some of the things we can sit and pick apart. It's been good for professionals that we just, a PGA tour schedule came out today with dramatically increased purses. And that was a direct result of live. You pointed out how much Henry extension made on Sunday and that's an enormous amount of money. And again, that's directly linked to live golf. So there are things that, that I, and I hate that we're sort of sitting, living here, pretending like nothing else matters, but it's impossible to ignore the fact that when Phil Mickelson starts lecturing reporters again about the reasons that he did this was to grow the game internationally because the PGA tour was too USA centric or the, somehow that he wants to do some sort of multinational growth to this element. Since he, since, he, since he always played so internationally throughout his career. That's hooey is what that is. I don't even know if I, I did that, that right. But Probably it, not. It, it, it books. It's whatever you want to call it. It doesn't add Hogwash. up. Hogwash. Like, Hogwash. I, I just, I, like I read those comments and I'm just shocked that it, it's almost like someone gives them bullet points and they're like, nope, that's no good. They I'm did. They did points. give them bullet points. You're not just making like, that it's up. amazing to me. Liv literally gave them bullet points talking points of what they're supposed to say. God, like Phil did not want to play internationally. This whole thing is predicated on the idea going back years. That He's Phil been a professional for 30 years and he rarely played internationally. And he never wanted to play after the PGA championship. The whole idea behind the task force and starting the fall events, part of that was motivated by the idea that, all right, we need to get guys to play a little bit closer to the Ryder Cup because by the time they show up, they've had three months off and they're playing like crap. So we need to figure out a way to keep them in some sort of form heading into September. And that was all because of Phil. Because once the PGA was done, he had no interest in anything else. And as far as playing internationally, you're right. 
unless he was attached to a massive paycheck, he wasn't getting on the private plane and going, I don't know, pick a spot, any spot will do around the world. He doesn't do those. He doesn't do the goodwill missions to, to Singapore or South Africa. He's played in Dubai over his career. Obviously, he played, he's played in Saudi Arabia the past couple of years. Otherwise, he played from, tor- from uh, the American Express at PJ West until now they started the FedEx Cup playoffs. But yeah, after the PJ Championship, he wanted to shut it down and have an offseason. It's only now when they lined his pockets with a reported $200 million just for signing up with Live Golf that he looks on the talking point, and that's number three. I want to grow the game internationally. internationally. I want to grow the game with a younger demographic. Golf has gotten too old. To do that, we need shotgun starts. He's literally reading from the paper. That is what, that is what they're telling him to say. <laughs> they he put is that being Chiron, disingenuous put- as he has been over the past 30 years of his career. If they put that in Chiron, would it be easier for him like it is for you and I when we have yes. to read off the, off the prompter? Read! Exactly. exactly. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm Ron I'll... Burgundy? <laughs> I told you I did that, right? Yes. Yeah. You want, you want, to, you want to share with the audience instead of, just, instead of just with me? Did I not share that publicly? Did, was that I a private? No, I, I, don't think, I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not sure you want to. Uh, it, was during, uh, it, well, it was during the Dustin Johnson news, going to live golf, and... Uh, and it was live and it was very late breaking and everything was kind of moving very, very fast. And I was sitting at my camera in my home office and we're about to go on air and we do the first hit based on DJ going. And I said, whatever it is I said. And then uh, part of that was I had reached out to David Winkle, DJ's longtime agent uh, and a friend of ours. And I'd reached out to him and I'd asked him for a comment and he had declined politely. And so I had said so in my first hit, by the time I get done with my first hit, Dustin and apparently Winkle have decided that, okay, we are going to have a statement. So I get a text message in the middle of my hit and the producer being a good producer sees my face light up, gets in my ear, ask me, did you get something from Winkle? I give him a very subtle nod. Okay. We'll bring you right back up. You can just read it straight off the teleprompter. And as I'm reading it and I have my phone up, which also makes very good TV, trying to read things off your phone. Let me get my glasses. I got, I got lost in the moment. And I get to the very end about how, and this is best for DJ and his family. Thanks for reaching out, Rex. Nope, that wasn't supposed to be Rex. <laughs> I hope I hope Schefter, Woj, Hassan are listening to this and just say, "My God, this guy's this guy's a Golf Channel insider, and he's re- reading text messages verbatim and doesn't even proofread them beforehand." Schefter is reading text messages. He's reporting news. I don't know how he does that. He's looking at his phone in the middle of the hits. Like, how does he even pull that off? This is why golf doesn't do breaking news. Except, except, for, that, my except, wa- except for that, except for that memo you uh, received last week. Way to go, Rex. Thank Way to break that news, even even if you didn't uh, get enough publicity for it. I have to take my uh, iP- uh, my Apple Watch off when I do a hit now because it, it it buzzes while I'm on, on TV and it distracts me. I can't even be distracted by the buzz of a of a Apple Watch. You know you're old when you get I mean distracted by the buzz of an Apple Watch. Hey, what were you what were you grilling? What were you grilling yesterday when you had the two TVs on? Uh, we did steaks yesterday, which are very, very simple, very, very straightforward, uh, classic. But then two days ago, I did like uh, I grilled chicken thighs, which have been uh, just a revelation in our household. I don't know why I would ever want to do. Ch- I'll never do chicken breast again in the rest of my life. Uh, you're, but I, you're 55. Uh, yes. Think of all the time. Think of all the time you've squandered all those eating, wasted eating, dry, eating, eating dry, <laughs> bland chicken. <laughs> either that or I had salmonella because I tried to cook it right there on the edge. Can't, can't do it that way. But I did it. Uh, I just did uh, chicken on the grill, 
but I did it with a like an orange reduction sauce that I found a recipe for. I've done it a couple of times now. It is divine. I love it so much. My boys love it. My wife loves it. It's so good. Did not get a uh, text or a snappy chat back from you uh, mm-hmm. as I was showing off the features of my Hasty Bake Grill, uh, which I got for my birthday, and I have become completely enamored with. Uh, uh, fervent listeners of this podcast understand and know that I have many, many grills, and that I was increasingly skeptical of some of the comments that I had seen surrounding this Hasty Bake Grill. People said, you can get rid of all your other grills. You don't need anything else. This bad boy can do it all. You can. Is that what you sent me the other day, uh, yesterday, with your cooking? With the crank handle. Yes. Okay. So here's what we did, folks. Here's what we did. Listen up. Had some delicious ribeyes. They were on sale from Publix. Uh, My three and a half year old eats horribly. Uh, His diet basically consists of mac and cheese, uh, uncrustables, uh, pizza, uh, and assorted other treats. But we will eat eat like that once. What? Yes, that's true. Uh, although he's eating his way through Rome uh, as, as, <laughs> as we are recording this podcast. However, Cam will eat steak. He will eat perfectly cooked, medium rare steak. And so we fired up some ribeyes yesterday. And folks, on this hasty bake, there's three settings, sear, bake, and uh, smoke. And you can control not just the temperature, but also the level of the cooking grate by this crank handle that is on the side. So it's essentially open fire cooking, but you can also close the lid and smoke. Are you using charcoal in this? Yes. You're using lump charcoal. And so here's what we did, folks. We cranked it up to sear setting, threw those ribeyes down until I liked the crust that I saw on both sides of the ribeye. Now, if you pulled the, the steaks off at that point, as I did to investigate the internal temperature, you're looking at 85 or 90 degrees internal temperature. If you ate that, you would probably die. So what you have to do, because now that you have achieved the color that you want, you have that beautiful sear. You work so hard to get that sear. The fat is sizzling. You got to cook it through. And so what do you do? You take that crank handle, you crank it down to either the bake or the smoke setting to lower that, that cooking grate and to lower those coals. And so you still let them cook. They cook in through. The fat is rendering and dripping off the steak onto those coals, and yet you don't scorch the outside. That is how you perfectly cook a steak. We did it yesterday. We threw some corn on the cob. Wife hates when I eat corn on the cob because I eat it like an absolute maniac. That's her problem, not mine. It was a delicious Sunday night meal after reveling in Tony Finau's victory. Hasty Bake, folks. Look it up. It's the Hasty Bake Legacy 131. Could not be a bigger fan. Uh, the bunkmate was uh, out of town for the weekend. She was at uh, some girl, sort of girl's birthday party. And so it was just me and the boys. And so they all wanted rare. Does the bunkmate not have a better – who has a better life than the bunkmate? Three weeks uh, in Europe, girl's trip. She informed me the other day that, five times. that she's not even going to start looking for another job until September. And I asked why, why until after September. And she goes, well, it's my birthday month. And oh. I go, most grownups don't take, like, gap summers. Like, I didn't realize that that's what we did. Birthday in this month. Yes. It's a gap summer is the way I like to look at I'm it. Like I start looking for a job. Does she know that it's a contract year for you? Uh, apparently not. Or if she did, she did, doesn't understand what that means. She just nods. We'll just, we'll just take a gander just to see what's out there, shall we? That's right. That's right. Let's see if we can just find something to contribute in any way possible. So the boys wanted rare. So I went with um, – 
130 is what I, I finally got. It. Nope, not even close. Why? Did you think that that was rare? Uh, well, it was between 125 and 130. Yes, that's rare. Your pull-off temp. Yes, pull-off temp. For what? And what kind of steaks were they? They were ribeyes. They were thick okay. ribeyes too. Yeah. Okay. So the thickness is going to determine how much your steak is going to carry over temperature-wise. So these were pretty thin ribeyes. I'd probably call them about an inch thick. I knew that those were going to carry over quite significantly. I pulled my steaks, Rex, at about 122, 123, knowing that they would carry over to about 130, which is that perfect medium rare temperature. If you're trying to achieve rare, and people say they want rare steak, they really don't because it's kind of gross. It's kind of chewy. It's kind of bloody. People don't really want that. They actually want medium rare. They just think it sounds cool and they say rare. You're still, you're shooting for that 120, 125 pull-off temp. If you're pulling at 130, that thing's coming out medium, if not medium well, after, after the carryover temp. Uh, and then what you let them sit. I let them sit last night for 10 minutes. Should I let Seven. them sit long? Seven is Seven the magic minutes. number. You put Why? a pat of butter, put a pat of butter on top of them, loosely tent with foil, slice it, then pour the steak slash butter juice on top of them coming off. Seven minutes, folks, is the magic number to rest your steak. Never, never pull your temp, pull your steak off uh, more than 130, unless you want to eat your shoe uh, No, it was rare. I mean, no, it was pink in no the way. middle. I like the way they turned out. No, I do. I, I like Pink the in the middle. Rare is red. That's what uh, I'm saying. People don't want it. People don't want it. No, rare. no, no. You're right. I think they, they probably thought. I like medium rare, so I want—I just want pink. And yes, I was pretty yes. happy with it. I was fine People with it. People want pink and juicy. And I've started to use garlic butter to baste. It is so delicious. Oh, yeah. That's Why definitely the way Why did you smile like that? Why did you uh, smile? That was a, definitely a comment uh, for the bunk bed. We're going to wrap it up there uh, on this week's edition uh, of the Golf Central podcast uh, presented by Callaway Golf. We'll be back next week to recap who is in and out for the FedEx Cup playoffs. Rex will be en route uh, to Memphis where, folks, if he doesn't follow the schedule of events that I had planned last year uh, for this tournament, Rex is doing it all wrong. I think I gained nine pounds uh, while covering the WGC FedEx Championship last year with my tour of all the barbecue stops. You know what? I, no, no. I, and I don't want your, your menu. I don't want your menu. Send me, send me. I want people to send me their menus. Tell, I want people in Memphis or people who know Memphis, send me where I should go. Give me, give me five nights. Give me Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Get in on Wednesday. I'm getting in on Tuesday, but I. You already have, you already have plans? Uh, well, no. So give me five nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then because yeah, I. Sunday, I Sunday night, you'll be a little rushed. It's, I'll be, everything, might, everything might not be open. I understand. I have to do work on Sunday. So yes. All right, folks. Let's now. let's let's see just how much engagement Rex can get. That's Rex Hoggard GC. I have my own ideas of where Rex oh. should go. Uh, fill him in. If you're familiar with the area, if you are a Memphisonian, uh, I believe is what All right. the folks are called. Maybe. I hope I didn't offend anyone. Uh, but thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Central Pop, sent by Callaway Golf. Talk to you next week.